I had sent a, a newsletter this week. I don't know how many uh, had seen it, but the um, but I did offer if anybody would like an Advent resource. I know some people had requested one. There's several good ones out there. Uh, we received one in, in the mail today, and I have an electronic version of this one, which is they're usually just a short verse and kind of a two or three paragraph narrative. It's a great way to to celebrate Advent. Some of them are right on course with with um, the spirit of Christmas, and some are a little more general, but all are good. So let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. I can send it. Your, today is the first day, so you aren't behind yet, but it's always good to catch up if you are. So don't, don't give up on that. If that's something that you would enjoy, I can certainly email most of those to you. So. When we wait for anything, we're likely to get impatient, maybe even resenting the delay, right? Perhaps we even feel stuck like we can't do anything else until this thing happens, whatever it may be. So think about it, especially this time of year as we're waiting in line. There's not much to do. We can people watch, see what's going on around us. We can catch up on the latest Harry and Meghan newsstand article, or I guess it's Travis and Taylor now, right? Try to avoid the temptations of the impulse buys of all the candy on either side or simply just stare at our phone. But as we gather this morning at the beginning of the season of Advent, we embark on a journey of eager anticipation, a journey of, of waiting. Advent means a coming or arrival, and it's not merely a passive waiting, but an active expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. This morning's message titled Waiting on God and the scriptures that we will read will, will guide us not only to understand the essence of hope, but also to discern the actions that we are called to undertake while we await the glorious arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in the First Testament, the, the people of God experienced many seasons of, of waiting, of uncertainty, and eventual fulfillment. In fact, um, the Israelites went through several cycles and periods of, of abundance, and then they'd kind of get off track, and they'd be punished, they might be exiled, they might be enslaved, and they were saved again uh, many times over. And in the book of Genesis, um, we read about some of the early parts of this, but also in the book of Genesis, we find the story of Abraham and Sarah and their story of waiting. And these chapters recount their journey of faith, and God's covenant with them. And at the age of 75, God calls Abram to leave his homeland, promising to make him a great nation. I don't know where you guys are at in your age, but at 75, I hope to be semi-retired and not leaving my country to go start a new adventure. But despite challenges, including a period of waiting in Egypt, Abram believes God's promises. If I do this, God will. In Genesis 15, God reiterates the covenant, and Abram's faith in waiting is counted as righteousness. Have you ever thought of that? Your faithfulness in waiting is considered righteousness. And the covenant in, involves land and descendants described as as numerous as the stars. And in Genesis 17, God appears again, renaming Abram and Sarah, foretelling the birth of Isaac. Now listen to the exchange between God and Abraham in verse 16. God says, I will bless her and will surely give her you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Now, what's he about to do? I'm 75 or older, please don't. Or he's going to go, yeah. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, would a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes. But your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. 
I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Through faith, obedience, and miraculous events, Abraham and Sarah played key roles in God's plan. And Isaac's birth marks a pivotal moment in the fulfillment of God's promises. But their story is not just about waiting. It's about their active faith in waiting. While awaiting their promised son, Abraham demonstrated faith by living in obedience to God's commands. And as we wait on God, our actions should reflect a steadfast obedience to his will, trusting that his promises are fulfilled in his perfect timing. This is hope. In the book of Exodus, we find the plight of the Israelites in Egypt and in God's promises for their deliverance. This is from Exodus 3, 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. We know he's talking to Moses. Now, why am I doing so much Old Testament talking? Because Jesus had not come yet. They are awaiting Jesus. He is the hope that they need that they do not know what it's going to look like. You know, see, the Israelites were waiting for deliverance, and, and they, but they were not idle. God instructed Moses and the people that, to prepare for the journey to the promised land, and they did. And similarly, as we wait on God, we are called to actively prepare ourselves spiritually seeking him in prayer and aligning our lives with his word. These aren't the only promises that God, that the, to, of God that the world had to wait on. This time of year in particular, we celebrate the First Testament promises of God that were, were fulfilled in Christ. Isaiah tells us, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then the verse we're familiar with. For to us a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's from Isaiah 2. Or Isaiah 9, 2, and then at 6 or 7. The arrival of Jesus as the promised Messiah called them to actively embrace the light he brings. But the world had to wait for God's timing and Jesus' arrival. This is Advent. Even now, as we celebrate the past season of waiting, we wait again for his second coming. Throughout, we are called to be bearers of the light, dispelling the darkness of fear and despair in the lives of those around us. The prophecy of the virgin birth is not only a promise fulfilled, but a sign of God's presence with us. It's not just a promise fulfilled, but a sign of God's presence with us. As we wait on God, our actions should reflect a life lived in awareness of his continual presence, living knowing that he is always with us. We actively cultivate a relationship with him through prayer and worship and daily surrender. Our waiting is not passive, but it is an active, expectant posture of the heart. Expectant waiting is a call to action, and it is the antidote to fear. 
We can learn from the example of Job's waiting. While under duress and waiting for God to deliver him, he claims, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job's patient endurance in the face of suffering teaches us that waiting on God involves actively trusting him in every circumstance. As we endure with patience, let our actions be rooted in love and compassion and kindness towards each other, reflecting the character of our patient God who has shown us love and compassion and kindness. In the Old Testament book of Samuel, we read the story of Hannah whose act of waiting is captured in prayers. Hannah is a central figure in the biblical narrative found in the book of 1 Samuel. The story unfolds during the time of the Israelites that were ruled by the judges. And Hannah was one of two wives married to Elkanah. The other wife, Panina, had children, but Hannah was barren. Maybe you can see the problem here. Year after year, the family would travel to Shiloh to worship and make sacrifices at the tabernacle. Panina had pr- would provoke and taunt Hannah for her inability to bear ch- children, causing Hannah deep distress. Can you imagine that? Unable to have children and wanting to, and someone basically making fun of you and just t- talking down to you. And this time is supposed to be of, of worship and, and joy. And it said, in her sorrow, Hannah turned to prayer at the tabernacle, pouring out her heart to God and making a vow. She promised that if God granted her son, she would dedicate him to lifelong service in the house of the Lord. Ever made a deal with God? Yeah. Did you stick with it? You don't have to answer. Here's a part of the story of 1 Samuel 2, beginning at verse 10. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And you know, that's okay. It's okay. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I think he probably goes, oh. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Talking to God, it didn't change anything in that moment. She did not have her son, but she had relinquished all that fear and anxiety and resentment. And it said her face was no longer downcast. Eli, the priest of the tabernacle, observed Hannah praying and initially misunderstood her silent requests, right? As if what we're praying should matter to anybody around us, right? But here she was being judged for, for her prayer. And when he realized her plight, he blessed her and prayed that her request be granted, right? We pray along with each other. I pray that your need be granted. In due time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son named Samuel. And the name means heard by God. Wonderful. True to her vow, once Samuel was weaned, Hannah brought him to the tabernacle to serve under Eli. In a heartfelt prayer known as Hannah's Song, which can be found in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, she expressed gratitude for God's faithfulness and power. Maybe that's sometimes the part we forget. The deal we made and honoring it and then the thank you at the end. Hannah's story exemplifies persistence in prayer, faith in God's ability to intervene and the fulfillment of vows made in times of desperation. Samuel went on to become a significant prophet and leader in Israel, playing a crucial role in the transition from the period of the judges 
to the establishment of the monarchy with the anointing of Saul and later David. Hannah's prayerful anticipation resulted in a vow to dedicate her son to God's service. Likewise, our waiting involves actively seeking God in prayer, not only for our own needs, but also interceding on the needs of others. In our waiting, we become instruments of God's grace and agents of his love. While they waited with anticipation, Abraham and Sarah had patience. Hannah prayed. And Psalm 100 tells us that God's people worshiped. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's from Psalm 100. While waiting on God, let us actively cultivate a spirit of worship and gratitude. And, and during our waiting, we lift our heart in praise, acknowledging God's sovereignty, expressing gratitude for his faithfulness in advance of what he's doing. That is hope. This is incorporated in our church service on Sunday, but, but don't forget to worship and thank God in the moments between Sundays as well. It was another prophet, Micah, who reminded God's people to engage in acts of compassion and justice from Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Waiting on God is not detached from responsibility to pursue justice and show compassion. As we wait, we don't wait and not do anything. As we wait, we actively engage in acts of mercy and seek justice and walk humbly with God. These are what he's instructed us to do. So we've looked at a few ways that God's people responded in the, in the time that they were waiting for him to deliver a savior. At the time, they knew very little of what would, that meant or how long they must wait. Today, we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story of Jesus. And we know that there's more of the story to be written. During our time of waiting for Jesus to return, and especially this Advent and Christmas season, we have an opportune time to actively share the good news of salvation. Remember, as we wait Christ's return, we are commissioned to make disciples, sharing the hope we have in Jesus with a world that desperately needs him. This is the greatest Christmas gift the world has ever known. Won't you share it with someone? Friends, as we wait on God during this Advent season, let our actions be a testament to our faith, our hope, and our love for the God who keeps his promises. We know but still need to be reminded regularly that our waiting is not in vain. It's an integral part of our journey of faith. So may our actions reflect obedience and preparation and willingness to be bearers of God's Advent light. Let us genuinely trust in God's sovereignty, seek him earnestly in prayer, and engage the world around us with acts of compassion, justice, and evangelism. As you actively wait, your hope will dispel fear, and your life will be a witness for the transforming power of Christ. And I want to invite you, if this is not something that, that resonates with you, if, that, if you don't know what that means, or, or you just say, I don't see how that's going to help with what I've got going through, I want you to talk to you. I want to share some good news, because God's got some good words for you, and I'd love to share them with you. Don't hesitate. Don't miss an ounce of blessing or joy this holiday season because God has better plans for you than that. 
And may this Advent season be a time of active waiting while we filled with worship and gratitude and compassion and fervent anticipation of the glorious return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we celebrate that with family and friends. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we gather this first Sunday of Advent recognizing hope, knowing that there is a hope that comes in waiting because as we wait, we know that there is something good and perfect ahead of us. Our hope is not founded on just the we wish, but on a deep trust in what you will do. The promises you fulfilled in the past, the promises we know that you'll fulfill in our lives in the future. Lord, we can look back on the stories of the Old Testament and see how people responded in faith and, and somewhat outside of their faith, lacking in faith and sometimes while they're waiting on you delivering their promises. Lord, we can see from those stories how you kept your promises, how they were fulfilled ultimately in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and even more so in his death and resurrection. Lord, we thank you for that. If it were not for the gift of Easter, the gift of resurrection, there would be very little to celebrate at Christmas. But we have a savior. We thank you for that. Amen. Before we begin our communion, I want to share a verse with you. It's from Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. It's one of the letters of the Apostle Paul. And he writes this to, to the early church gathering. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is, the body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. There's a lot to take part in that, in that. But if you can see there, because of Jesus Christ, we can now draw near to God with a sincere heart, right? Because we can, have been, and will be again cleansed of our guilty conscience and be watched clear. And so he's saying, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because he is faithful.